Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Laurie Keenan, a PR agency owner and candidate for office from Evanston, a suburb outside of Chicago, Illinois. In this episode, we'll discuss Laurie's journey from growing up in New Jersey to the high-stakes PR world in London, to moving back to the U.S. and opening up her own agency in Chicago, as well as her best PR tips. This episode is highly inspiring for the woman who continually reinvents herself and always asks, what's next? And if you get a little time, please pop over to iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. It helps us reach so many more inspiring women. And also, we just really love hearing what you think. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Lori. How are you? I'm great. How are you? So good. And that accent sounds familiar to me. Can, do you want to tell everybody where you're calling in from? I'm actually calling in from Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago. Midwest is the best. I was raised in Ohio. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, Um, I love it. Yeah, actually, I grew up in New Jersey. And now when I go back to New Jersey, everyone's like, what is that accent? Because that is not New Jersey. (laughs) It's the nice people accent. That's what people, (laughs) it's just, you sound nice. (laughs) There's a saying in the UK that the more north you go, the friendlier people get. Is that the same in the US? Like the more Uh, Midwestern you are? (laughs) It's, it's pretty true. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a Midwestern thing. Um, When I moved to Sydney, I was still like smiling at people on the sidewalk. I'd smile, I'd like, you know, you make on eye contact you smile like that's that's right, just what you right. do and then they'd be like oh there's a crazy girl <laughs> <laughs> well we we lived actually our oldest two kids were born in london uh-huh. and when uh-huh. we moved back um my son was like three and a little bit and we'd be walking down the street and of course they were adorable and people here were saying oh your kids are so cute what are their names how old are they blah 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 and we walked away and my son, who was essentially British, said, why were they talking to us? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, Especially so. in London, where everyone is just oh, so yeah. heads down. Like, yeah. who's yes. this strange person that, making eye contact with me on the tube? <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. so cute. Mm. Oh. So you've been in um, the Chicago area for quite a long time now, though, correct? Right, right. Okay. So we've been back, I'd say, it's 22 years. Um, wow. wow. So we were in London for four. And before that, I was in Chicago for a little bit, even before we moved to London. So right. okay. this, this is definitely home for me now. Yeah. So tell us your story, your career story, and how you kind of became the woman you are today. Um, well, so I started, well, I don't know if you're familiar with the TV show Bewitched yes. at all. Okay. <laughs> yes. So when I was little... I thought that Darren Stevens was really, that was the job I wanted. And I thought that an ad agency, you you know, 
drew things and came up with the clever copy and then took it into the client <laughs> uh-huh. and, you know, like, like he did. Yes. And so I thought that that was advertising. And only after I graduated from college and started looking for jobs did I realize that wasn't one job. That was actually three different departments. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was, um, so I actually, I started um, in advertising on the design side. Yeah. Um, and then I went, I was doing corporate events um, and, you know, that was more like sales and getting the client in and doing the production of these sort of bigger corporate events, like for mm-hmm. McDonald's and other kind of big companies. Um, and I didn't think that was really what I wanted to do. And so then I ended up at an integrated marketing firm, which was really just kind of at the front end of integrated marketing. And for instance, like Chicago Tribune was one of our, um, or the Tribune companies was one of our bigger accounts. And it was Uh at the time that they were just launching America Online. So that tells you how old I am. But they were, (laughs) you know, it was like we were printing these enormous full page ads in the newspaper and it said like hey modem owners and they would send you these discs <laughs> in the mail that you could put into your big computer so oh so wait um, you were paper advertising the internet basically yes exactly because <laughs> the internet was like your computer had never done that before that that yeah. things could come out of your computer versus just that like flashing green cursor in the corner. Yeah. Um, So so that was kind of, but, but the agency was, you know, cool. And there were, you know, it was really fun to, and I, I got to kind of interface. I was doing new business development, but I really got to interface with the client Uh and also then the creative department. And I loved that um, kind of dynamic because I could speak, you know, about design or composition and the words and and also then take it to the client. So that was probably as close to the Darren Stevens experience as I was going to get. Gotcha. Um, So anyway, so then uh, my husband actually had an opportunity to open an office in London. And so we went. And I was thinking, well, this will be fun. And, you know, through my 20s, that was what I had done. And that was sort of my identity because those were all your people. And, you know, they were all sort of fun and creative and full of ideas. Yes. And then we went to London and I thought, well, I'll just get a job in an agency there. Uh Uh-huh. But I didn't realize we were actually moving to, like, job search in the 1950s where they literally asked um, well, what does, in a job interview, what does your husband do? Oh. Um, what does your, what does your father do? And cause, <laughs> what year you know, is this? What year? Yeah. <laughs> it was 94. Uh-huh. Yeah, 94. Wow. Um, but even then I was like, you know, someone's going to end up in a lawsuit here. <laughs> like yeah. you could never, you could never even ask those questions. So anyway, things, you know, went along and, and I actually, I was, offered a job at Saatchi and Saatchi, which, you know, mm. was like kind of Massive. the end all be all at yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but I, I was going to be, because I had been interviewing and it was between myself and someone else and the other person got the job. But then this woman um, was going, she was leaving on maternity leave. Uh-huh. And so they offered me the job, you know, rather than have to go through the full interview process. Cause I was basically the runner up. So I said, well, love to 
um, but just full disclosure, I'm pregnant. And the headhunter said, oh, she wouldn't even represent me. Oh, my God. I, how had I wasted her time? I mean, it was, you know, it was horrible. Oh, wow. Yeah. How, how far so, along were you at that point? Not far enough along that obviously I wasn't showing and, you know, oh and really goodness. nothing. It did not preclude anything. I, no. you know, yeah. you didn't quit your job because you were pregnant no. in yeah. the States no. or there even, right? Yeah. Wow. So, um, so that was super, like, I was, you know, in the fetal position, like, what am I going to do? Now I can't work. And, and because, because my pregnant. husband was, huh. right. And my husband was opening this office. And so he was like, you know, leave at six in the morning and get home at 8.30 at night. So there I was, no friends, no job, you know, yeah. no, like, no social life. Yeah. And pregnant. Yeah. Um, and a job is how you can often, like, meet people when you move to a new country. I know oh, that's how sure. I relied on a lot yeah. when I first moved here to Sydney. Yeah. Right. And and because they're sort of, you know, it's sort of built-in friends from nine to five. Yeah. Um, so... At that point, and I also was sort of like, what did I do? Because so much of advertising and marketing is so culturally based. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this sort of innuendo and nuance and subtlety and wordplay that, you know, between America and England, you know, you think you're speaking the same language, but it really oh, would have been better if I'd, I would yeah. have been better to move to Italy because <laughs> yeah. then I would realize like, oh, we're not actually speaking the same language. No. So, <laughs> um, so luckily, uh, a college friend of mine, her father was, he and two other investors were opening a restaurant in London. And one of the partners was, his name was Gene Street, and he was like a big restaurateur in Dallas. And they were all from Dallas, and they went to London and couldn't find decent Mexican food. So they decided to open a, a Tex-Mex restaurant. It was called the Texas Embassy Cantina. And so we opened this restaurant, and they were looking for someone to help them with their marketing and their advertising and PR. So that was what I did. And so I was really working, you know, kind of telecommuting, doing this job and not having to be there. But it was amazing. And the the main focus was really public relations because mm. they didn't have a budget, you know. So we did all sorts of just fun, really creative and clever things that we could um, kind of get a lot of attention for not a lot of money. Right. Um, and like they, guerrilla marketing sort of activities or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and really, like, I think it ended up, you know, how sometimes the, the things that are the hardest, right, like, they turn out to be the best things in your life. Yeah. And that's what, that's what this was because I really, you know, I had to really put my head down and sort of figure things out and overcame this, but also realized, you know, I can do this job. I don't have to be in an office. I have so much freedom. It was super exciting because we took the restaurant, <laughs> funny story, opening the doors of the restaurant, the The construction hadn't been completed yet. Yeah. And But it was like our grand opening. <laughs> and so the kitchen wasn't ready and, you know, it was horrible. And I, I said, well, we should probably um, not serve somebody else's 
food because, you know, somebody else's Mexican food because if it's terrible, you know, what, what will happen? So we actually, at the, the grand opening of the restaurant, we served Chinese food. <laughs> and, so, and just kind of owned it like you know we're this isn't this isn't our food but you know we're close to being open but here it was so and That's and so we got funny. like a we got a lot of um a lot of fun press for that like to have the kind of chutzpah to do it um and that was really that was the start and and so from there it just kind of became just sort of a challenge like it was um Texas Embassy Cantina was actually on the Backside, it was originally the ticket office for the t- the Titanic, and so it was oh, like wow. at the bottom of bottom of Haymarket, you know, right near Trafalgar Square, mm. and it was at the same time that the movie Titanic was coming out, you know, Leicester Square and all the big movie houses. So, Ninety eight, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So then, then we said, well, you can bring your Titanic ticket to the Titanic ticket office, and. We were serving like icebergs and all sorts of fun drinks and stuff. So it was just, it turned out, you know, in the end, it was a really kind of great adventure that I never knew I wanted to go on. But it was, it was really fun. And we really, um, by doing these things, you know, again, we talk about the difference in culture and language. um, And it used to be that, Mexican restaurants were called American restaurants. Um, mm. And we really coined the phrase Tex-Mex, which, you know, Texas is all of the kind of mesquite grilled meats and those sorts of things. And mm. then Mexican is the vegetables. And so this was truly Tex-Mex. And by the time we left, we were there for four years. By the time we left, every Mexican restaurant in London was a Tex-Mex restaurant. So you realize the the (laughs) influence of sort of changing language and those sorts of things. Is it still there now? It actually closed just recently. Uh um, But we did some really fun things, you know, like Pete Sampras would come in during Wimbledon. And anytime anybody kind of big American was in town, they would be there. And we did a kind of a song... um, Buddy Holly, um, uh, Paul McCartney owned all of the rights to Buddy Holly's music. Uh And so they did a big kind of call for entries for songs. And so we got to, you know, do this event with Paul McCartney and Gary Glitter and a bunch of really kind of big deal names. Uh Um, Then, you know, just through, you know, we just sort of reached out and they were they were game to do it. So, because Buddy Holly was originally from Texas. So, what was um like British sentiment toward American culture during the nineties? What was the um, general sentiment that you I, felt? I felt um, it was certainly better than it probably is right now. <laughs> you know, apologies for our president. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was funny because I always felt a little. Um, conspicuous you know like I felt I felt like a little other than um even though we had we made really close friends and yeah um Mm. you know when your kids are little it's really easy to connect with people Um, yes exactly but I always but it it was always sort of not home uh and and it's funny and I actually should probably talk to Gabby about this but it was harder to repatriate than I ever could have imagined. I feel, yeah. 
I totally yeah. feel yeah. Well, when I go back to the US. Yeah, when yeah. I go back to the US, I feel a bit like an alien too. Mm. Yeah. I feel like that when I when I last visited home, like it feels like home, but it also feels so different and I'm a different person now and I right. can't see myself there anymore. Right. It's interesting because right. you're going you're hanging out with the same people and you're going to the same places or whatever, but you've changed so much mm. that it's yeah. and and London in particular was such an international, you know, it was just this like super buzzy, great conversation and yeah. really kind of, you know, philosophical and very yes. like kind of high level fun conversations. And then we came back and I can't remember which Chicago sports team was winning a title at the time, but it was like all anyone could talk about. Oh, yeah. Thought, oh yeah. Yeah. And we'd been gone four years and... It just felt like everything, like like nothing had advanced while we were gone. Like, it was all still yeah. the same things. And, <laughs> and we had this like amazing other experience. So, yeah. Um, you just want to really shout different. like, have your minds evolved at all? Like, have you learned anything yeah. new? Like, And you don't yeah. want to do it in like a condescending or crappy way, but you're just like, hey, there's a whole world out there, guys. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's hard. And yeah. I don't know if you, you read any... Um, Bill Bryson at all, but yes. he's like a, a humorist and he'd written like, it was the lost continent and in a sunburned country. And, um, yeah. but the lost continent was very like telling to me. So Bill Bryson's an American writer, but he had lived in England for like close to 20 years from, and there's notes from a small Island was just sort of laugh out loud, funny to me. Oh, and I yeah. think it's very hard to write humor. Um, so, but then this lost continent was about his move back to the States. And I was just like, I wanted to write him like a fan letter, like you <laughs> nailed it because it was exactly what I was feeling. So, yeah. So you um, moved back to the States in 98? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then while I was here, you know, my, I, a friend of mine who I'd worked with at this, you know, the America Online Agency, uh -huh. she was doing um, design and, and sort of along the lines of what we'd done at, the, at that firm. And she said, do you want to help me with this client? And it was another um, Mexican restaurant. It's called Burrito Beach. And she had met this guy on a plane and they needed this branding and all the stuff. And so I started to work with her. And her name was Shawn Michael and her company was Shawn Michael Art or Smart. And so when we expanded the capabilities, because I'd really gotten this great, um, I, like my heart is really in public relations now because mm, yeah. it's just such great bang for the buck. You know, you nobody, it's not you saying it about yourselves, it's somebody else saying it about you. And then that lends that third, that sort of third party credibility or um, yeah. like they're advocating for you. Yeah. Um, Social so, proof. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And so we worked together and became then smart thinking and expanded the capabilities. And um, probably at the point where I would have gone back to an agency, uh -huh. my youngest son was starting kindergarten. And I thought, okay, here we go. You know, I could go back downtown and, you know, wear shoes again <laughs> and be a grown up. Um, and, but he was diagnosed then with hearing loss and oh. all of the stuff that like it just felt 
like it was going to be much harder and we were really going to need to be engaged, um, you know, in his education and yeah. kind of getting, you know, all of the supports in place and all of that. So was that like a full hearing loss that he had or um, partial? It's partial. Yeah, it's partial hearing loss. But unfortunately, it's the like when you're learning to read mm. oh, yeah. and you can't hear the difference between like ch and sh, Aww. you know, or m and n. Right. Mm. Like it, then it sort of exacerbated the, the learning issues. So um, he's fine now. And, you know, it, his hearing hasn't his hearing loss hasn't progressed. And I always say it is truly his superpower because he's an amazing kid anyway. But he is so focused when you are talking to him mm. that adults love him so Aww. because he like hangs on every word yeah. because he's had to so mm-hmm. anyway so that was interesting but but then I realized like I'm really not going back to an agency probably ever right mm-hmm. and and so then I I kicked it in high gear to really try to um you know focus on building my building smart thinking um but he also happened to be born <laughs> the day after 9-11. Oh, my God. And so, wow. so I always feel like um, advertising or marketing is always on the front edge of the economy. Mm. So it's the first thing that you can cut if times are tough yes. without, you know, without cutting real people or, you know, budgets otherwise because it's not noticed as much. And it's also the first thing that's brought back once the economy starts to come back. So, mm-hmm. but it's always that front edge. Um, so really after after Matt had been born, all of these kind of freelance at that point was what I was calling it, that sort of dried up. So yeah. once I really realized like this is really... I'm, I'm going to have to focus on this and this is just what I'm going to do. It, it was almost like then it all opened up. Mm. You know, once I kind of got my head into the fact that this is how it was going to be, you know, I, it was almost like I opened up to the universe to allow it. And, you know, it's just there's sort of no turning back. And I've worked with just amazing clients over the years and most of those referrals have been just word of mouth or yeah. people go from one company to another and they'll pull me in to do work there. So and is this it's been great. And is still in partnership with your friend? or No. So then it? then Sean, so actually the, the guy, the Burrito Beach guy that she met on the plane who we started to do branding for, mm. she married him <laughs> <laughs> and they have, they have four kids. Oh and my gosh. Her two youngest were twins and so she sort of, she bowed out, um, and I wasn't doing as much of the marketing. I really was focused more on the PR. So mm-hmm. we still work together occasionally, very occasionally, and we're still good friends. But, yeah, smart thinking just is that's sort of more me now than, than Sean, and she still does her design stuff every and when ha- she has time. How did you feel um, doing that on your own? Do you ever feel like you wish you could have had a business partner to bounce off or...? Do you yeah, like the dynamic? Yeah, I, I like it. Um, you know, it's lately it's been, you know, I've had, I always have my canine coworkers, but <laughs> there was a time here earlier in the year when there were four of us living in the house and the dogs and I are like, when are you people leaving? Because <laughs> we, like, <laughs> we liked it better when you weren't here. But um, anyway, so, but yeah, I know I, 
I've gotten used to it. I still miss that kind of office camaraderie, but and and really one of the things that I'd done in PR when I first came back, I was working at Edelman, mm-hmm. which is a big firm. Um, and we opened all of like the Home Depot stores in the Chicagoland area. And when when Home Depot was in from Atlanta, I would sit in a cubicle at Edelman's offices, you know, and meet with them there. But for the most part, I was telecommuting even then mm. before telecommuting was kind of a thing, even in the States, right? Yeah. Um, and what I, I think it gave me the confidence to finally feel like, just do this because, you know, there's no difference between you sitting there and you sitting here and you're still the same brains and person and you can do this on your own. But mm. taking that leap is, you know, is the tricky part, right? Yeah. And having the having the tools, you know, like invoice to go, right? Like mm. that kind of thing sets you up to have these sort of systems in place. And the world is much more geared for that now than it than it ever was before. And probably this year more than ever in history. So yeah. because everyone's figured out Zoom and whatever else. So. 2020 has just completely fast-tracked the whole like w- remote working concept and made it so much more accepted by right. many companies and many people. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree. So I, as a seasoned I, PR professional, can mm-hmm. you um, give us some tips on um, PR for small businesses who, you know, like you were describing with the, the Tex-Mex restaurant, don't have like much, much budget or don't have many connections and are very right. new to a market? What are kind of the first things that you would do for PR for those kind of businesses? Well, it's funny because I, I've always wanted to do like a um, kind of a PR starter kit for small businesses mm. where you could you could do like a seminar and it would be maybe five classes. And because as I say, it's not rocket surgery, right? It's, yeah. it's you know, it's, it's really having the tools. But then I think what it does, if you've got those tools, then the media takes you seriously because they can go to your website when they're on deadline at three in the morning and pull an image or a you know, boilerplate or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of starter kit in my mind would be you know, a good bio. And again, this is sort of cobbler's kits with holes in their shoes because I've had to do this now that I am running for mayor and I've had to do it for myself. And I'm really, I talk a good game when I'm doing it for other people, but when you have to do it for yourself, <laughs> it's very different. Mm. Um, but like a, you know, a good bio, strong bio, um, a boilerplate about your company, a fact sheet about your company, mm-hmm. some good product photography if it's, you know, if it's a tangible or, a, you know, um, an actual product. Mm-hmm. Um, develop a media list. You know, who, where would you love to see your company featured or talked about? Yeah. Um, and then a kind of a generic press release um, that, that talks about the company. But then sort of hold yourself to trying to write a press release. I'm, I want to say once a month, but that's not realistic probably. When you're a business owner you're, you know, and you're having to do all the rest of the business stuff, it's, it's very tricky, I think, to be able to do this mm-hmm. other part. 
Um, but even quarterly, if you could get a press release out quarterly, that keeps you in front of the media enough so that then when they are doing a story about, you know, North Shore real estate or whatever it is that is your specialty, you've kind of pinged them enough that that you're showing up, you know, on their radar. And and that's the other part with with an integrated approach, you should be kind of, um, you know, like showing up in these other ways, either, you know, a podcast or an article or mm-hmm. um, maybe you've done an op-ed piece or, you know, whatever it is. So suddenly you're sort of top of mind for them when they are doing these stories. Interesting. Um, yeah, so like just constant outreach then basically with with different stories of I guess not just product releases but do you do you think of different angles of the way that you can tell the story of the company do you do you like creative thinking around um you know like how can we pitch this launch or this product in a way that isn't just here's my new product because that's what I've always felt with PR is that that my so I don't have experience in PR really but that press don't really care about your new product launch as much as you do. And, well, no right. one really does. So Unless it's to. like a, a newsworthy, <laughs> salacious, or politically related product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. In right. which case, how do you make it newsworthy? Like, what, what? are there any, like, tips or tricks on how to make something that is, you know, like a, a boring old announcement more interesting so that it stands well, out? I think it's how you... Um, how you think about it, right? If you if you think about it from the standpoint of like end user, right? Like why is it newsworthy? Why would they care? You know, I care because I've just launched my product, but mm-hmm. why would they care? Um, and I'll use like the, you know, the Chinese food at the opening of a Mexican restaurant. Like if, you know, it could have been an absolute debacle, but if you can spin it in a way that's sort of fun and funny and, mm. you know, however that, looks you know and we did like a Lone Star beer came into London and they had a an enormous Humvee with these like giant longhorn steer horns on the front of it so (laughs) that's that's attention getting so Mm -hmm. if you can just sort of stand out in a way that you might not you know might not be even just from a business standpoint but why would you know why would people care Mm -hmm. um and I've been lucky enough along the way to you know, the, the bread and butter accounts are, a lot of them are B2B. Um, and, you know, B2C is always more fun because you're having fun with the consumer. But but a lot of times you can um, you can sort of stand out or, or set yourself apart um, just in the, the way you're even approaching the media, mm-hmm. you know, to include them in a, you know, an open house where if it's a real estate open house, maybe you would send them pairs of, you know, walking shoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of one of the worst <laughs> worst events. And again, you're you're always sort of victim to the news cycle. We did a an enormous one of my clients was um the nation's largest roofing company, which was that was pure B2B, but it was at a time that we were doing a lot of sustainable construction and so they put a a green roof on the roof of the Target Center in Minneapolis, which is, you know, an enormous stadium and be like putting it on, you know, the Bulls stadium here in Chicago. Um, And from the air, it looked like a giant leaf, which was cool. And, and so we had an, you know, a media event and 
people were coming and it was supposed to be this big deal. And But it was the same day then that actually Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett both died. Oh, my God. And so, you know, you're just, we were just sort of left holding the bag because everyone was covering that. You yeah. know, we ultimately we got some news, but we certainly didn't have the people there that we thought were going and didn't make so much impact so like would your advice be like check the calendar of things coming up like if there's an election that's not the time to do it and if it's a super bowl that's not the time to do it like, right thinking someone's about someone's gonna die randomly <laughs> yes yeah. not yeah. the time to do yeah, it the, the unforeseen that's um, the thing about it, pr that's really it's just it's baffling you know, it's like you can put right. all of this effort into this massive pitch. You can put all of this work into it. And then all of a sudden something else happens in the mm. news. And right. like, you know, like they release Trump's tax returns and all of a sudden like exactly. no one wants to talk about what you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you've just yeah. worked on. We, well, and, and we had a, um, a client's opening a, a property in just outside of D.C. in Virginia. And we had a big thing and CNN was going to come out and film and whatever else. And it was Brexit. Mm. And so it's that that segment still hasn't happened because after Brexit, it just like everything was up for grabs in the yeah. Trump world since then. So um, and and this year with COVID, one of my clients is a senior living provider. And so all of the things that we're typically trying to do, um, I was like doing the opposite of my job because I was really trying to keep them out of the media. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they they did very well. They they didn't have, um, you know, any casualties or deaths within their independent living. Um, but if the New York Times reporter is calling and doing a story, you don't want your CEO or anyone else quoted because, and as it turned out, if the headline of the story is like, you know, horrible tragedies in senior living and and your person is quoted as we haven't had any problems nobody sees that mm. on google what they see is your name connected to this horrible headline so it's been an interesting year from that standpoint just because i feel like i'm sort of trying to trying to not get media versus yeah. you know get in the media so that's um, so interesting i've never thought of it like yeah that. so yeah. um you, you mentioned just then, um, before that you're running for mayor. So this is really exciting news and wow, what a story. Like, can you tell us what led you to wanting to do that, how it's going? Um, and just, yeah, just what's... Yeah, so, <laughs> so I, I actually, it was, um, I initially thought I was going to run for mayor because the, um, I thought that the sitting mayor was going to run again. And then, as it's turned out, I happened to be running against the guy that just ran for governor in Illinois right. <laughs> instead. Um, so it's been a much bigger thing than I thought it was going to. And again, like I said, you know, when you're your own client, it's just, it's really difficult because I'm used to being behind the scenes and having somebody else be the person or the product. Mm. Um, but it's, it's been, it's, it's almost in a lot of ways, like sort of like attending your own funeral as a fly on the wall because <laughs> people are saying really nice things. And I've, I've, now I've come to kind of accept it. But initially the first thing that came out was, you know, activist Lori Keenan, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, you know, I know I've done all these things, but 
I never would have categorized or, or said activist about myself. Yeah. So so that part's been great, but boy, it is not for the the meek because you can also get, you know, just lit up on social media on on other things too. So mm. I just tried to sort of stay on the positive and I had been involved in our community since we moved here in 98 um, and really led, I think because of, you know, my PR background, we've led a, a lot of, not just myself, but a number of, of people who I've worked with in town um, have led a, a number of really successful initiatives in in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and two different times we got we had to get, you know, a vote where it was a referendum on the ballot. And and twice we won that vote. Um, and it's just over time, there's just become less and less accountability and less listening to the community. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is really like, I'm, if you really want a voice more than 30 seconds at the mic during citizen comment, then you have to get in the game. And I was told that by two different women politicians here, um, and I was told that once by Michael Moore, you know, who's such an activist, um, at a book signing in in San Francisco. Um, And, you know, he said, you you gotta run. If you wanna have a voice, you really gotta get in. So so that's what I'm doing. Um, It's it's really been an interesting experience. and again, it's a little like the cobbler's kids with holes in their shoes because, you know, I know I need to write this copy or get this press release done, and it's always hardest to do it for myself. So, mm. oh well, best of luck. When do you actually kind of? When do people go to polls? Is that how it works? Sorry to be yeah, ignorant. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there's a um, there's a primary because mm-hmm. three of us are in the race. Mm-hmm. The the former gubernatorial candidate and myself. And then this 20-year-old kid, which huh. props to him, actually. I, I'm, I'm really glad he's doing it. And I know the work that's gone into, you know, getting it this far. So I really give him a lot of credit. Um, anyway, so the three of us are, because it's three, we'll, we'll have a, a runoff in February or primary in February. And then the full vote will be in April. But if anyone gets 50% of the vote in the February um, primary, then they win. Wow. automatically that's they're just appointed so anyway so yeah wow the holidays good. aren't busy enough yeah. now I'll be <laughs> mayoring too and then how are you balancing that with your business can you be the mayor and run your business at the same time or will that yeah, be then so, put on hold it, no so the the mayor is a paid position but it's really a very small sort of token salary mm-hmm. um and as you know, my client actually, I was away and the client texted me, you're running for mayor, question mark? And <laughs> someone in, <laughs> someone in her um, company had sent, sent her an article about it. And I said, yeah, funny story. Um, anyway, but, but really it won't take more time than these other things that I've already been involved in and done. Mm-hmm. In fact, in a perfect world, it, it should take less time because I'm not having to spend time going to meeting after meeting after meeting and sort of fight the system. I can, um, you know, be part of the system. And in fact, in this race, there are nine aldermen, you know, it's nine wards and then the mayor. 
and there are almost 30 people running for these various positions. Wow. So, you know, it could be a sea change, which would be amazing because there's some really great challengers as candidates. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that part could be really exciting to be able to kind of affect a change. And I always say, like, the people I volunteered with in town could truly run a small nation. You know, wow. they're smart, they're talented, they're willing to volunteer and willing to step up. Um, and I, I really, you know, want those voices to be heard. You know, we're, we're the suburb just north of Chicago, and you can imagine there's some, like, really top minds mm -hmm. in our community um, in a lot of different capacities, whether it's, you know, lawyers or not-for-profit, you know, development people or whatever it is. And we could certainly be leaning on these people to, you know, help figure some of the problems out versus sort of pushing back all the time on any idea that that isn't coming out of council. So mm. that's that's sort of what what I'm hoping to do. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it happens. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, the best of luck with it. We'll, we're Thank you. right behind you <laughs> if we were in Evanston. But um, yeah, Laurie, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you and find out about your life and get your great PR tips. I think that's something well, that I'll definitely be taking away from this. And best of luck for your campaign. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Bye, Laurie. Bye. Thanks again. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, 